0: because we have a God that loves us. He loves us in spite of ourselves. I don't know about you this morning, but that just tears me up. It just makes me say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. I don't deserve it, but somehow, God, you just gave it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, have mercy. I'm glad about it this morning. I'm glad about it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm prepared to do this, but God got a spirit on me this morning that says, "I'm so glad He's Jesus. I'm so glad He's Jesus. Hallelujah! 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 Thank Woo! Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. His goodness makes me weep. His goodness makes me weep. I'm here this morning to talk about tithes and offerings. And I want to read to you a verse in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16. We do these things. It says, through him, let us at all times offer up God a sacrifice of praise. That's what we did this morning with the fruit of our lips. And thankfully, acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. That's what we just did this morning. We're glorifying him because of his goodness. Now... It says, don't neglect to do good, to contribute to the church as an expression of fellowship, for such sacrifices are always pleasing to God. When we give this morning, when we give, we give with the understanding that God loves a cheerful giver, but it it opens up blessings for others and for us as well. So just be cheerful in your giving. We're gonna ask the ushers to come forward. Let's let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to bless you, to love you. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to give, to give into your kingdom, to help other people. Regardless of what we have or don't have, God, our heart's desire says, Lord, we want to bless you. We want to honor you. We thank you for what you've done in our life. Not because we were good, but, Lord, you've just been good to us. And so this morning, we just give a portion back to you. We can't beat your giving, but we just want to give a portion back to you just to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. In your name, we pray and bless you. Amen. Thank you, thank you. I'm just gonna step away from the announcements real quick. How many of you have a birthday this month? Raise your hand. Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday. How many of you are celebrating a wedding anniversary today? Stand up if you're celebrating a wedding anniversary this month. Okay, okay. (laughs) Well, God bless everybody for being here. Oh, wedding anniversary? How many years? Oh, Jesus. Did you hear that? 54. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, this month in our Bible study on Wednesday night, I want to encourage you to come. We're going to be doing chapter three in the footsteps of the Savior and Larry, our pastor Larry will be re- re- leading this particular lesson. So come, if you don't have the book, come. If you haven't read the lesson, come. We have a glorious time. It's a good fellowship, and it's a time where you can have Bible study, not Bible preaching, but Bible study. Pregnancy Support Center, um, HOPE program is expect- with the- for expected moms is gonna start their classes this fall. September the 4th, and if you need more information about it, Madison will be glad to help you. Ms. Madison, raise your hand. Oh, wonderful. Okay, thank you. And Lisa Rogers is an emergency chaplain, and she will be having an emergency chaplain opportunity meeting at her house coming up on September the 9th, and it's from from 2 to 4 p.m., So if you're interested, please come. Lisa, could you raise your hand, please? Just see her afterwards. And put this on your Savior date. October 7th at 6 p.m., our church is gonna have a night of worship, and we're gonna be sharing that with the church from Goldsboro. I'm sure Pastor Larry will probably tell you more about it. Those are our announcements for today. Thank you very much.
1: Maybe not you, but to me, what a special anointing in the worship this morning. Boy, that does my heart good. It seemed to be a theme in it, I don't know if it was intended, Brother Matt, of of the holiness of God. I think one of the things that's happened to us here in the Western Church, if we've gotten too comfortable with the holiness of God. And you know, when, when the song that we're saying comes right out of the Bible... And Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted it up, and His train filled the temple. And his, his, the result was, he said, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm among people of unclean lips. And I don't particularly like to cry. I don't think any man does. But anything that makes me weep is just for a moment. I feel like I get a glimpse of the glory of God. And when I sense His glory, church, do you know what it makes me feel next? My lostness. My sinfulness. And it makes me ever thankful for a cross. For the blood of Jesus Christ. And I don't ever want to become comfortable with it. And I know we live in a culture where we see Jesus as a friend, a friend that sticketh closest than a brother. And He's all those things. And I thank God for that. But He's also a holy, holy God. And let us don't ever get comfortable with His presence. Let's always revere Him. Don't ever be afraid to kneel down on your knees, maybe on your face before Him, before His holiness. Because He's an awesome and He's a holy, holy God. And He visited with us, this, with me. I don't know if He visited with you, but He visited with me. And it's going to make what I'm about to do here a whole lot easier. <clears throat> and it's going to make this coming week a whole lot easier. Because I've been in the presence Of a living God. I'm glad you're here with us this morning. If you're visiting, uh, we do have connect cards. If you haven't filled one of these out, please do put your email on it so we can you can keep up with what's going on in the church. We we communicate mostly by email, but we also do something else with these. If you have a prayer request, and I want to say our Friday night prayer is growing. We've been running consistently 20 plus in our Friday night prayer. I I said some time back, I have a goal of of consistently 40-plus, Brother Dan. And so if you've never been to a Friday night prayer, we would love for you to come and pray with us. But if you have a prayer need, take one of these cards and write it on the back. And because we're purging them at the end of each month, so put the date on it. And we lay those cards on that front pew. And we get them cards, and we lay them across this altar. And I see people picking them up, holding them in their hands, praying over them. That matters, so if you have a need, you you fill out a card, you lay it out here, and it'll be it'll be prayed over. If you filled one out last month, it'll be purged into this month, and we'll continue to do that. I want to uh, first of all, I want to thank you um, as always, this church just always arises to the occasion. Uh, Miss Madison gave a, a request, you know she works for PSS now, and she sent out an Amazon shopping list for. For, for the church and, you know, for the needs that they have for this HOPE program coming up. And one of them was packing Plays. And I think they needed 10. Is that right, Madison, 10? Well, somebody bought nine out of this church, nine. So, and many of you responded, and you always responded. So we just want to thank you for, for uh, your work to the kingdom of God. And I want to also reiterate a couple announcements. Uh, number one is Sister Lisa's event. You know, I'm going through the book of James, and we're talking about... And I will move a lot into this idea of works and deeds. Uh, there, it's a great, great ministry, the emergency chaplains. I would encourage you to go to her house and learn more about it and how you could get involved in that and get outside and, and minister to our first responders and to others who are in sometimes the greatest of life crisis. So I, I just wanted to emphasize that. Also, I wanted to um, make you aware of something that's going to happen here on Wednesday night, September the 20th. I don't, I didn't really know what to call this other than alternative education night. We'll be taking a break from our Wednesday night study and um, there's a lot going on in our public schools today. Some of it's not so good but however I will say I thank God that last week our North Carolina legislature overrode uh, Roy Cooper's veto on three things and if you have kids in public schools you should be thankful for this and those three things are that if uh, a, a man can't compete against a woman in women's sports. Uh, if, if a child decides to use a different pronoun or questioning their gender, the parents must be notified. The fact that we have to have a law about that is, is just incredible to me. And, and, then, and then lastly, um, help me Trish, I missed one. The Parents' Bill of Rights, and that included something. I'll think of it in a minute, but there was three things. And, and that's great, and I'm thankful for that behind me you know laws change and so say it again? Yeah, I think that was part of a part of that but say it again? Okay, well, it was good, okay <laughs> It was good and you can look it up. you can go to WRL and see it. But anyway, those things change unfortunately with our culture and so, you know, I was talking to Tammy. I said, you know, if, if we had kids in school, I think we would at least be maybe be thinking about either private school or homeschooling. But the reality is I wouldn't even know where to start. I wouldn't even know where to start, particularly with homeschooling. Well, I said this before. We've got our own resident expert here in, in Ann Fisher. And I know she don't like to hear that. But um, she homeschooled three kids. She did a lot of research in homeschooling. And so she's going to tell us a little bit about it, about how she went about it. Uh, and we're also going to ask uh, Jim and Laura Griffin are here. Will you guys stand up? They're starting Guardian Academy out in Bahamas, a private Christian school, and I think school vouchers are now going to be available. I don't know nothing about those things, but they may, and also I took a chance. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Steve Steve Noble with the Call to Action radio show. Uh, Steve Noble, I think, is going to be here with us. I I, I reached out to him. I've I've been in some uh, events with him. don't know him that well, but... He said, sure, I'd love to come. He teaches some homeschooling classes, of which I think Ryan Fisher's in one this year. And he's also, his, his show is, and, and if you want to ever listen to his show, it's on 105.7 FM. You could write that on your notes every day from 4 to 5. But he deals with very contemporary issues facing uh, the Christian community. And he's going to be here with us uh, as far as I, I can tell. So we want to have about maybe 30 minutes of, of, discu- of pr- presentation, and then question and answer. So if you're here today, my young families, come, at least listen. Doesn't mean you're gonna homeschool. I know that could be a huge financial decision, but at least think about it, at least hear your options. Now, Melissa's homeschooled before, but she won't be able to be here with us. So, uh, and then hear what Jim and, and Laura have to say, and, and just consider these things. And so that's September 20th, and if you, if you have some friends, particularly our younger families, if you have some friends that you think there'd be a great time to invite them, come and hear uh, what their opportunities may be. And then lastly, the night of worship, October 7th. If you live by your calendar or cell phone like I do, please put that in your calendar. We're gonna have a young group out of Goldsboro called the House of God. They are on Apple Music, they're recording music. It's actually Steve Holders, the, pa- the former pastor then it's his son. They did worship for us at the conference. They are fabulous. They're young people, they set a mood of worship. And what we experienced here for maybe 20 minutes, we'll be able to experience for an hour, an hour and a half. It's just a great time to enter into the presence of the Lord. So that's October 7th at 7 p.m. Please put that in your calendar. I give you plenty of time not to make plans and plan on being here. And let's let's worship together. So we're going to continue studying together uh, the book of James. Last week, Brother Dan gave us a message. Brother Dan, I want you to know I heard from my friend Manny and he listened to your message and talked about, he said it really blessed him. He's experienced one of life's toughest challenges. He lost a son. And uh, he said it was just really a blessing to him and he wanted me to pass that on to you. But, so we're gonna continue studying together the book of James and we're gonna be in chapter two. And so last week, or last time we were in the book of James, we looked at this idea of favoritism. And I told you that I found it interesting that James would deal with favoritism When all the other things we could deal with in the church, James had been a pastor, why favoritism? But clearly it had been a problem to him. And so he dealt with that issue. And we found it through that. It doesn't matter. At the end of that, he said, if you want to receive mercy, you must give mercy. And so we're to be merciful to all people. It don't matter their race, their socioeconomic uh, position. It doesn't matter their gender. We are to treat all people as Christ treats us, without partiality. And that was on the heels of chapter 1. In chapter 1, I understood this chapter. He dealt with trials, the trials of life that we all face. The first one was external. We all face external trials. Just a normal run-of-the-mill grind of life. And there's sickness and death of a loved one and all these things. How do we deal with them? And then there was the internal trials of temptation that we all deal with as well. So I could understand James in those things. Well, this morning we're going to finish in chapter two, but I do want to say this, this is going to be a two-part message. I spent a lot of time in this. I've enjoyed studying this. And so I don't think I can do it justice in 35 minutes. And I've often heard it said it's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. And I don't want to hold you hostage this morning. <clears throat> I, want get, I want you to get something out of it. So I'd rather break it down into two parts and when I was discussing this with Colin and Madison, she, she confirmed that. No, don't do no long messages. So I have, I have some people in the, in the house, including Tammy, who can keep me straight. But it is going to be a two-part two message. And I struggle with the title of it. And so I, just, I came down to two titles, two, two titles for this sermon. The first one is, and it's a question, salvation by faith or works? Which is it? Salvation, are we saved by faith or are we saved by works? But then this, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. You'll see when we read the passage of Scripture from verses 14 to 18 that James says three times, but someone will say, someone says, it's easy to say, it's easy to talk. I don't know about you, but it's not so easy at times to walk. Walk. And so we will go through this as we look at this. So if you have your Bibles, your smartphones, your iPads, whatever you read on, if you'll turn with me to James chapter 2, and I'll be reading verses 14 through 26. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace and be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, If you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God? You do well. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Lord, I thank you for visiting with us. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your anointing. Lord, it makes it so much easier to come up here and just have really sensed your presence. So I pray, Lord, that you will anoint my words, and I pray that you'll anoint the ears to hear. God, that we'll take your word, that we'll take it into our hearts, and we'll act upon it. And it'll do what it is inspired to do, and that'll be to change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. These verses in James are the heart of his letter. In many places throughout his letter, he challenges the readers to be doers of the word, not just hearers. This is a message that is needed more than ever in the American church. This is also a very controversial passage since at first look it seems that James is stating that works are part of the salvation process, which seems to directly contradict the the words of Paul in Romans and Ephesians. Although works do not and cannot save us, it is clear throughout all of scripture that works and good deeds reveal a true saving faith. Now, my goal in this as I've been through this and, and, and meditated over this and prayed and read and read behind people is I want to find balance. I want to find balance in this. You often heard Pastor Don say one of the hardest things to get in church is balance. But I do. I want to find balance. And I want to find balance between two things. I want to find balance between this idea of, of that we are saved by grace through faith, but we are supposed to be doing good works. What's, I want to find the proper balance there. You don't never take one scripture and build a whole doctrine on it or build a whole life on it. That'll get you in trouble. If I took Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. If I built my whole life on that, I could easily say, see, and I'm going to deal with this extensively momentarily. I don't have to do anything. I could build a whole life on that. But we're supposed to take the whole counsel of God. We're supposed to read the entire scripture. We're supposed to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Go find where else the Bible talks about this. And so I'm going to look for that correct balance. Also, I want to find a balance when I challenge you to works, and that's what I've been doing through this, really this whole series, is I don't want to create this idea of competition. Do you think that competition slips into works of the church? Absolutely. And it becomes about pride? Do you think so? Absolutely it does. Because that's part of our sin nature. I think if we're not careful, it's easy to go, well, look what I'm doing. What's he doing? He ain't doing nothing. I'm doing more than he's doing. And that's why Paul, that's why Paul said what he said. Paul dealt, he was a, Paul was a Jew of Jews. Salvation was by works in Paul's day. And he saw the boastfulness. He saw them come in and want the best seats at a synagogue and said, look at what I'm doing and look at what you know, they're doing. And they were, they were way up here and everybody else was way down here because it got boastful. It got boastful. And that's why he said it's never by works because if it was by works, guess what? We'd brag about it, wouldn't we? We'd walk in with our chest puffed out and say, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and you're not doing nothing. And you know, Can you imagine some of the fates Like Jehovah's Witness, and I had a conversation with Colin about Islam that is about works. Church, could you imagine working and working and working and working and still not making it in? Thank God we don't serve a God like that. Because that's how it is oftentimes with the Jehovah's Witness and Islam. You can work and work and work, and God said, well, you just didn't do enough. Boy, what a terrible way to live. We serve a gracious God. And so I want to find that front right balance and make sure that I'm not telling you that you have to do certain things and creating this air of competition, but also challenging you to see that works are evidence of our salvation. But first this morning, I want to deal with the controversy. I want to deal with the controversy. As I mentioned, this is one of the most controversial passages in all the scriptures. If, if, if you are to be dealing with someone who was so inclined, and I think you may have heard this before, I have, people who want to be critical of the Bible, critical of our faith. One of the things they'll often say is, there's just so many contradictions in the Bible, which is not true if you really dig into the Scripture. But if I was so inclined, this would be the one that I would use. This would be the one that I'd say, I'm going to show you a direct contradiction in the Bible. And so let's look at Paul writing to the church at Rome. In Romans 3, 28, Paul says this, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Now that word, let's deal with the word justified. I want to make sure everybody knows what that is. That's a legal term. What that means in our common vernacular would be that someone is saved. But you're justified. You're put in right standing with God. That's what justified means. And so Paul is saying, you're put in right standing with God apart from the deeds of the law. He's talking to the Romans, but he's also always, Paul is always dealing with the Jews who want to keep adding something to that. The Jews oftentimes would say, okay, Paul, we got it now, but they still need to keep the Sabbath. They still need to be circumcised. They still need to not eat certain things. That's Paul's dealing with that. He said, uh-uh, that's not right. And then Paul in Ephesians says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So Paul's saying we're saved by faith, apart from deeds of the law. He said we're saved by faith, not of works. But then let's look what James says in James 2.24. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Wow. To me, on its face, it almost seems like a direct contradiction, but it's not. The two complement each other. The first thing to understand when we're looking at this passage of Scripture is who these men were writing to and the purpose of which they were writing. Most of all the Bible is what is known as epistles. These are men who are sitting down writing letters. Oftentimes, most of Paul's letters, he's writing a letter to his church, and he's dealing with a problem. He's dealing with something. And as I've stated, what Paul is dealing with in many of his letters, particularly the book of Galatians, is he is always battling this idea of the Jews who want to keep adding something to the salvation. And he's always letting them know there's nothing you can do, there's no law you can keep, there's no day you can keep that is going to save you. It is by Christ and the finished work of the cross alone. And so that prompts him to say this often and often and often. And these men were writing letters. But they weren't just writing letters. As they sat down to write these letters, it's not like God came in and took their hand and said, write this. He didn't whisper in their ears and say, write this down. But as they just simply wrote their letter, the Bible tells us, unbeknownst to them, I think, that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit was superintending the whole thing. Everything they were writing was what the Holy Spirit wanted to be written down. And so Paul is writing these letters. Well, James comes along. Paul's dealing with people who want to add things to salvation. James comes along and he's writing apparently to a group of believers who have salvation by grace through faith down pat. But now that I know that, I don't have to do a thing. Thank you. Thank you, Brother James. Thank you, Brother Paul. I got it. I don't have to do a thing. I don't have to change a thing in my life. I don't have to do anything. Thank you. Clearly, that's what James is addressing. When you think about the Western church today, the American church, which of those two problems do you think we have today? I think we clearly... The the American church has Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 down pat. It's by grace you've been saved, through faith. Not of yourselves, not by works, lest any man should boast. So the moment somebody says, well, you really need to be doing this... WORKS! WORKS! okay. I'm not saying that it saves you. I'm saying that it's evidence of that salvation. I know I'm cynical. I'm as cynical as the day is long. There used to be a saying in law enforcement, I got that down pat, and God, I trust everybody else. I check through NCIC, Brother John. I'm cynical. But I'm also cynical in something else because we like our churchisms. I get it, we say, I want to see more people saved. Well, I do too, but the reality is we don't see no one saved. That's a supernatural act in the heart of a man or a woman when they really surrender themselves to Christ. And we'll say our little things, did you hear about Billy Bob? Billy Bob got saved today. And in my cynicism, which I think is healthy quite frankly, this is what I say when I hear that, we'll see. We'll see. Because what am I doing at that point? I'm looking for fruit. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. John the Baptist looking at the at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I'm looking for some things, not in a judgmental way. I'm there to say, "Hey, I've got my own struggles, but I'm looking for fruit." And if I see Billy Bob come up here and have an emotional experience and James deals with that as well and Billy Bob walks out I never see Billy Bob again except for you see him on social media his life has not changed. He does nothing to help anybody. I'm not so sure that what happened to Billy Bob was a salvation experience. It's evidence of saving faith. Matt Fisher gave me a book to read some time back. I'm sure he'll remember it was called Born Fundamentalist born again Catholic. You remember that book? I enjoyed it. I I read it. I I really enjoyed the book. It was about a man who had been born into a fundamentalist Baptist church, but he had converted to the Catholic church. He believed, like many Catholics, that was the true church. And I took some notes when I read that book, and, and one of the things, and I don't know, I can't speak what the Catholics believe and don't believe. I've never been Catholic, and they're born again Catholics. But we accuse the Catholic Church often of of having salvation by works. And that may be be code, but he dealt with that specifically. And I, I remember writing down some notes. He said, we don't believe in salvation by works. We believe that works complete the salvation process. And as I've read many translations on this, I think I'm not so sure we're not splitting hairs between that and what Paul and James are saying. And so the question still comes up is, are we saved by grace or are we saved by works? And we'll deal with it specifically as we go through This was so controversial that it calls the father of modern Protestantism, help me with that, Of the father of the modern Protestant movement, Martin Luther. He did not like the book of James. He called it a straw book. I think if Martin Luther could have, he'd have had it taken out of the Bible. Some of you know who Martin Luther is, and in case you don't, I'll just give you briefly who he was. He was born in 1483 in Germany. And he, wanted, he thought he wanted to be a, a monk, and so he went into the Catholic Church, he went into the monastery. His dad wanted to be a businessman, so he came out of the monastery. He got, almost got killed by a lightning strike. He took that from a sign of God, and he went back into the, to the monastery. <clears throat> well, While he's in there... He begins to read the Scriptures because the only people then, church, who had the Scriptures was the Catholic Church. And other people couldn't read. So, so it would be like you sitting here today. You can't read. You don't have the Bible. And the only thing you know about the Bible is what I tell you. That's dangerous. And it got very corrupted. The church started selling indulgences. They started saying, come by this thing right here and we can pray and pray you into heaven and pray your loved ones into heaven. Come very corrupted. And that, that prompted Martin Luther to begin to understand the doctrine. And this was all by the Holy Spirit. He began to understand the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith. He said, what's, what's happening in the church here is wrong. And so he wrote something called a 95 thesis. It was 95 grievances that he had with the Catholic Church. And in 1517, he took it and he nailed it to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. That'd be like posting it on Facebook today. And the Catholic Church went crazy. He went on the run, they tried to kill him, they called him a heretic. But something else was happening at the same time. A man by the name of Johannes Gutenberg was was inventing the printing press. And Martin Luther translated the Bible into German. The printing press is coming along about the same time. And Bibles are getting out and people are beginning to read and study God's Word for themselves. And that's where the Protestant Reformation started broke from the Catholic Church. We're Protestants. We hold that the the Scripture is the highest authority, not the church. And so that's why it's so important. Yes, it it was revolutionary then for them to be able to read the Scriptures themselves, but nothing's changed. There's no way in the world... I try to stay true to these Scriptures, and I know every preacher who's ever stood behind this pulpit does. But you need to read this. You need to read behind me. If I, you need to know your Bible well enough that if I say something that you're ready to come up and say, you went flat wrong there. You need to know heresy. You can't know heresy if you don't know the Bible. You need to be a Berean. What's a Berean? Paul came into Berea. He was going to be teaching this new way. And the people there said, let me get my Bible out and start reading See if this man knows what he's talking about. That's what you need to do. Because I could tell you anything. I don't intend to do that because I know I'm going to be held accountable before God for doing it. But know God's Word. Read God's Word. Study God's Word. Know it for yourself. But because of that, Martin Luther didn't want nothing to do with it because of James' emphasis in works. And I understand that. He had come out of a a movement that was all about works. He didn't want nothing to do with works. And he just thought James was flat wrong in this thing. And he won't. He didn't understand it as well. He had a big blind spot. And we can all get those if we're not careful. So are we saved by faith? Works or both. Well, the first thing I want, the last thing I want to look at this morning. Uh, there's several different works mentioned in the Bible. Several different works, and I want to cover a few of those at the last part of the scripture for this morning. The first is what is known as the works of the law. The works of the law. That's found in Galatians two sixteen. This is Paul writing to that church of Galatia, and he says this, knowing. that that a man is not justified, there's that term again, saved by works of the law, but in but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law, by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So Paul there, he's saying to a Jewish crowd, it's not, you're not saved by works. So you're not going to be saved by seeing circumcised. You're not going to be saved by keeping the Sabbath. You're not going to be saved by eating and not eating certain things. You're saved. You're made right with God. And that's where we are today. You're made right with God by one thing. That is when you come down and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you surrender yourself to the Lord. You confess your sins before Him. You repent. And He gives you new birth. That's salvation. That's being justified. There's nothing you can do. You can't be good enough to receive it. You can't be bad enough to lose it. He's done all the work for you. And that's what Paul was... You know how adamant Paul was about that? And this, to me, when I read this, even still today when I read this, is pretty incredible. Peter. You all know Peter. He was part of Jesus' inner circle. He walked on the water. He saw the miracles. Now, we know he denied him, and he was restored and preached like crazy at Pentecost, and thousands of people are saved. Well, apparently, in the book of Galatians, Peter, when he was around the Jews kind of waffled on this idea of maybe the law being part of it. But then when Paul came in, he he said something different. And the the Bible says that Paul, he said, I opposed Peter to his face. And I'm going to tell you something. That that, That took some cojones there now. To go get in the face of Peter and say, you're wrong, Peter. It is not by this. that's how strongly Paul felt about it. That's how strongly I feel about it. And that's how strongly we should all feel about it. The work was finished at the cross. The work was finished at the cross. So that's the works of the law. That was the works of the Jewish law. Keeping the Sabbath. Eating certain things. Not eating certain things. uh, Circumcision. Those were the things that they those were the works of the law. Well oftentimes and even now today we deal with the works of the flesh, and oftentimes in the scriptures it's known as the work of darkness. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but there's been times, oftentimes, the criticism that people will give of the Bible is, I don't understand it. And I've said this before. Mark Twain says, it's not the things of the Bible that I don't understand that concern me. It's the things that I do. And when Paul gives this list of the works of the flesh, They're about as crystal clear as they can be. To the point he even says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And when I roll through this list, church, and as you look at this list, we don't have to look far in our culture to see the evidence of this. More than ever. It's all around us. And the works of the flesh are still evident. Which are adultery, having sex with someone other than your husband or wife if you're married, Fornication, that's having sex outside of marriage. Uncleanness and lewdness, I'm going to deal with those together. Many times throughout the scriptures, all of those are mentioned in the confines of sexual immorality. As a matter of fact, fornication, the Greek word there is pornea. Where do you think we might get our American word from that? Pornography. Pornography. A business is booming in America. A business is happening in the church. Look at some of the studies. If we took, had half the money in this country that was spent on pornography and we could send it on the mission field, we could probably fulfill the Great Commission. Fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Those two words at times are, are debauchery and lasciviousness. I looked those up one time. What does that mean? I mean, those are big words. What does that mean? If you see a big word in the Bible, look it up. And debauchery and lasciviousness oftentimes means unbridled lust. If I want to do it, I'm going to do it. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. And there's no end to it, church. It becomes insatiable. That's what happens with pornography. It starts out, maybe it's minor, but then the next thing you know, people are involved in all kinds of lewd things. I mean, when men will dress like a woman and go out and dance provocatively in front of children and the adults stand there and wave and smile about it, we're in trouble. That's lewdness. That's uncleanness. And it's evident in our culture. And we have to have laws that says we don't want you teaching these things to our young children. Paul said they're evident. And they're more evident today in our culture than they've ever been. Idolatry. Idolatry is anything you place above the Lord. And we all at times struggle with that. It's a big word. We think sometimes it means, well, I got me a little idol that I keep on the on the mantle, and I, you know, I pray. that That's not idolatry. Idolatry is anything that takes first place of God in our heart. Sorcery. Now that could be witchcraft, Wicca. That kind of stuff is increasing as well. People are looking for something spiritual. Brother Dan mentions that oftentimes. They look everywhere but here, the real spirit, the real power of God. What they need in life is here, but they go looking everywhere else. And they get into dark places doing it. They start messing around with Ouija boards, and spirits, and oils, and church, that's dangerous. Be careful what you let into your home. The Greek word for sorcery is pharmakia, where do we get our American word, pharmacy. Everybody's on something today to cope. Now, I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. You've heard me preach on that. I'm not opposed to seeing the doctor. If I get sick, I'm going to go see the doctor. If he gives me something, I'm going to take it. But I've never wanted to cope with life with an alcohol bottle, a pill bottle, or anything else. I would rather cope with life with the power of God. I'm not opposed to you, You know, even the psychological services. Thank God for them. But when I preached to Noah some time back, I'm convinced that if we would get back to this, some of the problems, some of the anxiety, some of the people not being able to cope with life would find that they could cope with it. But it seems like it's the last place I'm going to come to. Pharmacia, Hatred. I don't think I have to say too much about that one. Seems like everybody hates everybody. Contentions, jealousies, outbursts of Wrath. I've never seen the likes of road rage in my life. Have you all? And everybody's packing a gun. Now, I've said before, when I, when I preach, I have to make sure I'm preaching to myself. And sometimes these people on the road, boy, they make me so angry. And I'll have, Tammy's probably back there going, yeah, you need to preach to yourself on this, and I know she is. But church, I will tell you, don't get caught up in it. You know, if somebody comes up flying behind you, just 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 ignore it. Because it, don't don't... Don't antagonize it. You just don't know what's going to happen. Just a couple weeks ago, I don't know what led up to it. I don't know if you saw it, but apparently there was a road rage incident up on 440. Lady pulls into the food line parking lot. Man jumps out of his truck, runs over there, tries to snatch her door open. She shot him and killed him through the window. That was right here in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Because people, I'm telling you, people are angry. We live in an angry culture. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, those who practice, that's that word, practice, those who are involved in that, those that's part of their lifestyle, it's ongoing, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's about as clear as I think anybody can make it. If I decide to practice any of these things, make part of these things an ongoing part of my life, Paul said, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God living like that. It's pretty clear. But I thought it was important that I step back to 1 Corinthians 6 and 11 in this. Because Paul gave that list many times throughout other Letters. And he gave almost the exact same list, but he finished that list with this. He said, and such were some of you. Were. If anything on that list described you, and you've come to the Lord, and you've put your trust in Him, that was a were for you. Leave it in the past. You don't need to pick it up and carry it with you no more. It's over. It's been covered by the blood of Jesus. And Paul said, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. You've been put in right standing now in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let it go. Let it go. We all have a past or something we wish we could do over. And Satan will keep it in front of your eyes. David said, my sin is always before my eyes. But God said, it's over. I've washed it. Don't pick up what God has forgiven you of. The blood is covered. Don't pick it up again. Leave it where it belongs. That's the works of the flesh and of darkness. I'm going to ask Brother Matt and the team to come forward. Next, I'm going to be out of town for the Labor Day weekend. But next time, we're going to look at good works. What are good works? Because as I said, the American church, we love Ephesians eight, Ephesians two eight through nine. We can Roll that off our lips. By grace you've been saved through faith, none of yourselves, not by works, lest any man should boast. We got that down pat. But we conveniently leave off the verse that follows it, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God saved us to good works. What are good works? I'm going to deal with that extensively next time. I'm going to ask everyone, if you would, to stand. If you're here this morning, you've never put your trust in the Lord. Throughout this, whether it's during the time of worship, and, and I want to reiterate to this church something. This altar is always open. If God is dealing with you, particularly in the worship time, which sometimes that's when we feel His presence and we think, man, I really need to go up there and kneel down in this altar. It's always open. Don't ever think, well, i got to wait till the end of service. No, you don't. Ever. If you need something from the Lord and He's pulling at your heart, you come down here and let somebody gather and pray with you. Don't ever think it has to be at the end of the service. But if you're here this morning, you've never pushed your trust in Christ. You've never repented of your sin. You've never been justified, saved, put in right standing with God. And you felt Him kind of tugging at your heart. Or maybe you have and you've just drifted away. We're prone to wander away. You've wandered away. You're like, I need to get back. And you feel it pulling, pulling at your heart. Don't ignore it. The altar's open. I'm going to leave the altar open for just a moment. We close our service around the altar. Because what I have found, oftentimes people don't want to come down on their own. Maybe part of me understands that. But they will gather with a group. And so the altar is open. I'm going to ask everyone who will to come down and let's stand around the altar and spend some time in His presence, in worship together. And then I'm going to let the team sing a little bit. You, You enter into your own moment of worship And then we'll pray for specific needs if there are any.